Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Tennis Unfiltered with me, James Gray of iNews.co.uk and the iNewspaper. I have, as always, got the two guys who you're desperate to see. And now you can see their faces and their eye rolls, as I know many of you have been enjoying over the last week. We've got Calvin Betton, our resident tennis coach, and George Belshaw, who is, of course, our tennis broadcaster, fence sitter, and various other professions that he uh, he claims to occupy. Um, we're all in our... Well, I was going to say we're all in our respective homes this week. I am away on holiday, but I have taken a break from watching my nephew and niece jump into the pool to uh, come and talk to George and Calvin. Um George, out of interest, is someone cooking in the background of your house by any chance? <laughs> I think they're changing the cat litter tray, is what you can hear. Um, <laughs> I will. Uh, that that would be a that would be a really good like like radio show. Like, what noise <laughs> yeah. is this? And no one would ever get changing the cat litter yeah. tray. I'll uh, try and mute if that. How many cats do you have? Uh, it's not actually my cat. I'm staying uh, with a pal who. Uh, has a cat, right. lovely cat called Peggy, who I'm uh, very right, good friends okay. with. Very good. Calvin, how many um, human or non-human flatmates have you got? These no, days? no, I don't have any at all. Um, oh, but I, um, I love how last week for for the listeners after last week's episode, James sent a, a checklist round of production values, seen as we're on video now every week. And and five seconds into the next episode, George has got someone taking out cat litter. Which <laughs> is, like, is just phenomenal behaviour. Uh, I mean, it's 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 Steve Simon level of effective leadership, isn't it? It's... Uh... <laughs> yeah, it's very... Uh, we're, we're, in terms of production value, so far, we're, we're more GB news than, uh, than, than Sky, Sky news. news, I suppose, yeah. With, without the... Horrific right-wing policy. <laughs> On both counts. Yeah. Um, but we will try and talk about some tennis this week. Um, we, we've loved having so many of you listening and watching this uh, over the past seven days. Um, but we are going to talk, of course, about Dan Evans. We'll talk about Coco Goff because they've both won titles, uh, in fact, in the last 24 hours. Dominic Team made a final in Kitzbühel as well. 
Stefanos Tsitsipas picked up another title and we head back to Canada this week for the Masters tournaments. Uh, Nick Kyrgios has also been active on Twitter and Martina Navratilova has been picking a fight with the USTA over their trans policy. Um, this is, of course, as always, tennis unfiltered. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Let's get straight into it because it was. I actually watched, uh, at least until the first rain delay, uh, Dan Evans against Talon Griexpor in the Washington final. Uh, Dan picking up the title. Um, we obviously all know Dan Evans in various different ways. Calvin, you've, you've known him for much longer than the rest of us. But I think even you, in your, even if you'd had the most one-eyed view ever of Evo's season you would have struggled to predict that he was going to win this title given I think as you pointed out he's won one singles match since April yeah um it, yeah look I no way would anyone have predicted he was going to win this tournament but it's also as, as we were discussing last night in, in our whatsapp group it was at that level of the game it's it tends to happen that tends to happen a player ranked somewhere between 70 and 25 will will win a random player will win a 500 or a 250 at some stage in the season and form tends to go nowhere that indicates that that might happen but it just does happen and the reason it happens is because they're bloody good players and it only takes one of those players who are and bear in mind that they are you know they are the, the very top players in the world those guys who are ranked inside the top let's say let's say the top 40 those guys who are ranked in the top 40 are, are the, obviously the top 40 at what they do in the world so as long as if if they raise their game 5% up from what it's been and everybody else is a little bit off it or even if they're not a little bit off it those guys will win matches there's so little in it at, at that level that if and, and Evo did this week Evo played five percent better than he's played for the whole season i'd say so far maybe bar barcelona and it was good enough because he beat everybody and he had good wins this wasn't this wasn't one of those tournaments where you think yeah well who did he beat you know he beat he beat i mean (laughs) talon's a good player talon's going to be a top 15 in the world player i think um he's a he's an excellent ball striker evo showed up some holes in his game which he tends to be able to do with certain types of opponent TFO was there. TFO's a home tournament as well. And I I, I, mm. I wondered a little bit. I'll come back to Evo in a minute, but I, I watched a couple of TFO's matches and I don't know why he seemed to be doing this because he's, he's always great fun, is TFO. He seemed to be, because it was his home tournament, he seemed to be really trying to make an effort that he was serious and he wasn't going to smile and he was going to be really, really focused. And it just didn't work for him this week, I don't think. It mm. just it just didn't work. But yeah, beat him. And then who, who did he beat before that? I've gone, gone blank. Um, or after that, oh, I beat Dimitrov. Shevchenko, and Dimitrov. Yeah, and obviously beat Dimitrov in the semi-final. Yeah, yeah. and Shevchenko is a good player as well. Is... Shevchenko's having a good year. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah, really good. But the strange thing is, and I'm not. This is not a prediction from me, one way or another. The strange thing is, at that level of the game, I don't think it gives any indication about what's to come next. It could just everything <laughs> can just revert to type. We see it all the time. 
Yeah. So um, he's not got a particularly easy draw in uh, Toronto, I don't think. I forget. I only looked uh, at 10 minutes ago. He has got a Diallo. The, yeah, he um, lost to Diallo, the at, he lost the Diallo at Surbiton this year. So, right, okay. um, and that's a Canadian mm. in Canada as well. So, um, so yeah, but I'm um, happy for him. Really so happy you... for him. Really happy for Beach, who's working with him at the minute. Yeah, I was going to ask you about um, Colin Beecham, who was in his box this week with Kieran Vorster, who was a fitness trainer who worked with him over the um, over the summer. Now, for people who don't know, um, Dan split with his long-term coach, Sebastian Prieto, just before uh, the grass court season. He worked with Matt Reed, who's a, a Australian, I think, former doubles player now. And he has now officially retired, hasn't he? But he was he had been James Duckworth's coach, and James Duckworth was injured. He's now gone back to work with Duckworth, so Evo needed someone for the hardcore swing, and I guess Beach isn't working with, probably, presumably isn't working with Harriet Dart anymore at the moment, and Carl Edmund is still kind of trying to fight his way back from injuries, so he's not kind of restricted there. Um, Calvin, just, you've obviously known Beach one way or another, I guess, a long time as well, and I wonder if you could just give an idea of what type of guy he is, and look, you can't give him all the credit for Evo winning a tournament, because ever was out there hitting the tennis balls but I wonder what sort of influence he might have brought to that box that has maybe just changed the dynamic I mean Beast is a great guy he's 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 one of the he's the, he's the best connected person in tennis like if, if you need something in <laughs> tennis or you need to get hold of somebody Beach will always know I remember last last year when uh, Henry because everybody who knows Henry who I coach he's a big lad he's six foot six and I think he's a size 12 or 13 shoe maybe um, and there was a shortage of grass shoes last season um, and we tried everything like the company who sponsored Henry um, he's sponsored by Dunlop and um, they have a shoe deal with K-Swiss they couldn't find any size 13 grass shoes um, we tried everybody we we even tried we even went to the length of because I know that Feeler in the States they sponsor both John Isner and Riley Apelka so I figured they've got to have some big footed grass shoes like somewhere <laughs> but that that came up blank and then about a week before the grass season i was just chatting with beach and i said you know just henry's got no grass shoes it's come the grass court season they rung me back about an hour because i found some uh there's a shop in wimbledon and they've they're keeping a pair for him so um <laughs> so he, he, he's the most he's the best connected man in tennis uh loves his coffee um loves calling it um drop shot coffee in um southfields every single day uh, absolutely loves the all england club um he's there all the time uh, and he's just a great guy and i think you know you know that it's one of the things you know he, he obviously brings a lot more but the one thing that he will have brought to evo's camp in the last couple of weeks is and, and i know this because evo told me himself he just wasn't enjoying playing tennis wasn't enjoying mm. I think, you know, for, what surprised me was he didn't seem to be enjoying competing and I've never seen him in that state, but he just wasn't enjoying mm. it. And um, I, I think he'd love to have Beach on, on board full time, um, but I don't think that's possible just because Beach has a, has a bond and a relationship with Kyle and he stuck with him this mm. long through the recovery and he would want to see it through that, so that's that's not going to happen so they're they're good friends and uh he's just doing the the hardcore season with him and then i think the hope then is that that kyle's back to full fitness hmm. i can uh relate to not being able to find any size 12 shoes calvin i was having an absolute nightmare earlier <laughs> i identified about 12 different pairs of tra- i was literally just looking for some white bloody trainers I found 12 different pairs 
um, none of which had 12s. And it wasn't even just that they couldn't get 12s. They had like 12.5, 13s and some... Just no 12s. It's a, it's a horrible size. I, <laughs> I once had to buy a pair of very garish red football boots because they were literally the only pair they had in the shot and I gave them that afternoon. It's a tough life. I'm a big fan of buying garishly coloured football. I mean, I don't have particularly large feet, but I'm a big fan because they're quite often cheaper. Like, genuinely, you go in and get, like, a horrible colour of football boots. They are quite often, like, 50 I, I, I think I might have told this story on the pod a couple of years ago, but I once I used to play Sunday League football in Barnsley where... It's it gets a bit rough, um, and there was one <laughs> morning where I just just couldn't find my football boots. Just abs couldn't find them anywhere. So I had to call at I think it was Sports Direct um, on the way to the match, and the only boots they had in were these chrome-coloured Nike uh, Nike Vapors, I think they were called. And um, I remember I, I wasn't over the moon about it, but I didn't have any option. I had to get them. <laughs> Um, and then I went out onto the pitch and I played centre forward or winger and uh, there was a huge hulking centre half at the kickoff before a ball had been kicked and he just looked down at my feet and said you better be good wearing those (laughs) 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 Uh, I came off with a few bruises and were you? no (laughs) (laughs) came off with a few bruises that day I think I think another guy ever wore them again yeah Um, you've kind of already answered my to bring us desperately back to tennis somehow you've kind of already answered my question Calvin but you know Evo always talks about how the the kind of core of his season you know he regards the clay as a bit of a bonus although he has worked hard on it over the years Um, the core of his season is the grass court and and the US hard court Um, I mean I look at his game and I don't don't necessarily see that there is a, a connect there and I don't see why he would play that well on the US hard court, but I, I guess it is the the sort of faster conditions and and you know he's he, he's a very good server these days, isn't he? He's someone who hits his spots better than maybe he ever has. Uh, he's got a great serve for his size. There's no question of that. Mm. Um, in terms of he's probably got the best serve of any player under six foot, I'd say. Um, mm. But I think one of the reasons he does well is because it's it's strange. There's strange conditions in the US in the summer at these tournaments in that. The balls tend to fly through the air quick because it's hot and the courts are very mm. slow. So it it's oh, always yeah. going to suit the more skillful player because there's differences in rhythm and that kind of thing. And Evo's just such, such a mm. talented lad that he's going to get he's going to get points because of that that he handles that better than than mm. anything else and you saw it last night he drove Greeksport crazy with that short slice that he uses that we spoke about a few times before and Greeksport just he must have given him 20 backhand errors in the match just through <laughs> Evo chipping away short angled backhand and Greeksport just just couldn't do anything with it um, and mm. he's just a bit inexperienced it, in that regard it is bizarre I mean George we've talked a lot before about how much how funny he is to watch as a player but I, I wonder if I can tempt you into a prediction for the, let's say, the US Open since we... I mean, incredibly, we're only like three mm. weeks away from the US Open already. But um, if you had to put your put your heart somewhere, or your head, I should say, on... I think he's now world number 21, new career high for Dan Evans, fresh off his second career title, incredibly, at 33. Um, if you had to predict his US Open progress this year... What what would your range of options be? I mean, 
I, I do kind of feel like with Dan that often his best results are then followed up by a very poor slam result at the tour level and often the other way around that sometimes mm. he arrives in slams in quite poor form and then surprises us I know that wasn't the case at, at Wimbledon uh, I think in terms of a range he, he he still can lose first round I mean if he, if he gets the wrong match he can definitely go out quite easily um, I probably I, realistically I don't really see Dan going past the fourth round of a slam I don't think I don't think I don't think he's done that today has he it's been to a quarter I don't think so um, I feel no no so I'd, I'd still be a little bit surprised I think he can hold his own against most players but by the time you get to the fourth round with his ranking you're quite likely to be playing someone who's you know you'd favour to beat Dan nine times out of ten probably more 19 mm. out of 20 um, at a Grand Slam so yeah I would probably say fourth round would be a very good result but yeah not much better than that I wouldn't have thought I think the other thing to look at is is the likelihood of his draw because uh, well I say yeah he is up to a career high 21 now but he is already going to drop six places in the live rankings because he's going to Canada where he made the semi-finals last year and has to defend a whole load of points and I think as as Calvin mentioned he's got Diallo in the first round which isn't a great draw and then he's either got Dumanur or Norrie and then probably Taylor Fritz which Overall, I think, you know, I know we always say Dan can beat anyone, but it's not, James not ideal, to yeah. say the least. Okay. So I think that's going to be a real challenge for him to try and defend those points and stay in that kind of higher level of seeding. Because obviously the way, you know, the way the seeding distribution works and the way you get seeded and the way your draw then works because of that, he will desperately want to be above kind of, oh, what's the cut of it? 24 is the next level. And if he can stay above that, then, yeah, that would be great. But if he can't, then that's going to be a real problem. Um, so I, I think defending those points well will be what is the make or break of his his US Open. Well, let's move on from uh, Dan Evans to another one who won a title in Washington this week, and that was Coco Goff, who, uh, contrary to Calvin's uh, forthright opinions on her coaching change has gone from strength to strength since picking up a new uh, a new coach. She beat uh, Baptiste, she beat Belinda Bencic, she beat Ludmilla Samsonova and then Maria Sakkari to claim the title without dropping a set. Uh, so she's fixed. Jordan. Has anyone slid into your uh, DMs about that, Calvin, or been dropping you any uh, comments? I mean, you went incredibly <laughs> strong last week. I don't think anyone's ever slid into my DMs about anything, which probably says <laughs> probably says something about me as a person. But um, I saw somebody had commented on uh, on Twitter. I didn't. I mean, I didn't I'm not reading anything into that. She's she's a, she's a decent player. She's a decent player, and like you know, what we're going to say that she'll do as well at the front, the U.S. Open as Dan Evans will, because he won the men's one. Mm. You know, it's like indeed. She beat, and she beat anybody who you think she'd have to beat to win a slam. As in, in a final. Well, even in a quarters or semis, you know, like look at the. I mean, if you're saying the best players she's beaten are uh, Belinda Bencic and Maria Sakkari, then I'm not reading a great I deal mean, into that. The last player to beat Belinda Bencic and Maria Sakkari in a slam was Emma Raducanu, and how's her career gone? Mm, indeed. Um, good to get a cheap shot in there as well. 
or play cards. Well, no, it's not. It's not a cheap shot, but I'm saying it doesn't really, doesn't really mean a great deal. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a five hundred. You know, it's like, mm. and she, she is a good. You know, she's got a great serve. She's got a tennis brain. It won't. Doesn't. She, I'm talking. You know, I'm not. I'm not talking about somebody who I think can win five hundreds here. I'm talking about the, the the expectation that we should have of Coco Golf is that she could be winning. The expectation was that she would be winning multiple slams, not not an a, a WTA five hundred. It's multiple slams and and competing at the latter yeah. stages of them. If she gets the U.S. Open and she's competitive in the latter stages, then I'll hold my hands up and say I didn't see that coming. But fair play to the guy and fair play to her, but. I don't think there's anything to read into this at all yet. Do we, do we feel it's more likely to be a turning point for her than for Dan there? As in, could this be something that she's just been missing to ignite her? Could it be a confidence thing or or not so much? I mean, to, to, to simply answer your question, yes, because Dan Evans is 33 and Coco Goff is, I think, still 19, 19 yeah. somewhat improbably, <laughs> right? She's still not a she's still a teenager which is just completely absurd so like how many more turning points does Dan Evans have in his career a very immediate turning point I suppose for this calendar year (laughs) turning point in turning point in her season season, maybe Um, yeah I think it probably is more likely to be a turning point because she's probably someone who needed that a bit more like I I think as you kind of alluded to George Ebo isn't much of a confidence player like even though he is someone who obviously plays well when he's confident, as everyone does, he's not someone who needs that. And as shown by his results, he can go from playing brilliantly one week to playing awfully the next. He's very capable of that, and vice versa. Um, and maybe the type of player that he is also allows that. Whereas like Goff is someone I think who needs to have really kind of strong. Um, I don't know, like a like a strong like body of work behind her in order to really feel that she's going to do something in a grand slam so yeah i think it's massive for her to do this not not that far out from the us open you know it doesn't really matter now what she does in canada because she'll kind of look at it as well i've got my my proper form in and yes i'd like to pick up a couple of wins in canada but then you know we we chill out we move to new york and and that'll be the thing that really matters i think personally um, yes, it won't do her ranking any harm. It'll make sure she gets a half-decent draw, which I think is a really big deal for someone like her, who I do think needs to play her way into tournaments. But, um, yeah, I think a, an incredibly useful result for Coco Goff. Um, and does, I think, as your, as, your, as your note said, George, it does feel like it's got her season back on track. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now, the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Calvin, we're having a bit of a technological nightmare this evening, aren't we? We've had to say goodbye to James and leave me to do some ad hoc um, presenting, which, as listeners will know, can be uh, quite grating on their ears, uh, such as... How good James is at it and how a subpar I am, but we shall power on. And for those of you watching on YouTube, you'll probably have just seen us weirdly jump from three to two. Uh, James has sat here in a producer role in the background. Um, so, hello, James. I hope you enjoy this and it's not too painful for you. Um, so, we think Coco Goff's going to have more of a turning point than Dan Evans here. One person who there's no sign of a, a turning point for at the moment but has weighed in is a, uh, a Mr Nicholas Kyrgios Calvin who replied to a friend of the pod as James would say uh, Miles David on Twitter so this is what Miles wrote he said Dan Evans will receive $353,000 for winning the ATP 500 event in Washington DC Coco Goff, Goff will receive $120,000 for winning the WTA 500 event in Washington DC they played at the same venue all week. They played best of three sets all week. They will not get paid the same. Nick Kyrgios is clearly unhappy with this framing from our good friend Miles and has replied, what about slams? Do we do this breakdown then? Vondrasova made more than Novak that week. Now, let's not forget that a Grand Slam is a fortnight. This is the first kind of issue with that in terms of accuracy there. Calvin, well, what do you think he's jibing at there? What, what's got him upset on this occasion beyond his usual uh, idiocy, as you might put it? Um, I mean, first of all, I, I, I don't agree with what Miles said anyway. I've got a lot of time for Miles. I find him a really compelling conversation on tennis on the occasions when I've spoke to him. Um, but I don't agree with his the point he's making there, and I'll come to that in a minute. Um, obviously that there's a there's a there's an argument against what Miles said and it and it wasn't made by Nick Kyrgios who 
as I said on last week's pod, is just a stupid man. Um, he, he just isn't very intelligent. And like the obvious one, I mean, the obvious reason why Vondrasova have made more money than Novak Djokovic is because she won the tournament and Novak Djokovic didn't. So that's that's the obvious argument back there. But it's again come back to this idea that Djokovic has that tennis players shouldn't be prize money shouldn't be awarded for how far you get in the tournament and who wins it it should be awarded to who is more popular which is the biggest load of tonk i've ever heard in in that one how how exactly do you quantify that he keeps talking about how he sells out stadiums wherever he goes he sells out stadiums right one how do you know it's you and not the other person who's playing <laughs> and two these tickets are sold months in advance and what's one of the problems with tennis? When when everybody asks me all the time, if when they say they're going to go to Wimbledon, they always ask me like, "Oh, what day will Djokovic be playing?" and things like that. Well, you don't know. You don't know who's on the court, so he doesn't sell out stadiums. I'm sure. You know, listen, he, he's he's an entertaining player when he plays, and I'm sure his television numbers go up when he's playing one of the big players. I know, like you know, my dad, for example likes to watch tennis if you tell him that Kyrgios is playing Andy Murray or Kyrgios is playing Djokovic he'll tune in that night if you tell him that Kyrgios is playing <sighs> Talon Greekspur <laughs> he won't be bothered about watching that it's just you know it's, it's just an interesting one because he can be flashy and he can win cause some problems because he's got a great serve he'll people want to tune in when he plays Djokovic but he's he's nowhere near as popular as he thinks he is in in the in the stratosphere of just outside of fanatical tennis fans <laughs> it, it it is nowhere near as popular as he thinks he is i can i can say that but anyway it's a stupid point you made it has no logic to it and that as as most things that come out of nick Kyrgios's mouth um uh but um i i i'll touch on it briefly on miles's point initially that Again, we covered it a little bit last week that um, the reason why the female players at Washington this week were not paid as much as the male players is because it, they're two different tournaments. It's not the same tournament. They're run by two different people, two different organizations. Those organizations decide on the money. The WTA will decide how much they're paying for the female players because it's their tournament. That's what they're running. The, the ATP will decide how much money they're awarding for their players because it's their tournament. They're they're running it. It's not one against the other. No one has decided. No one has the decision to make, oh, we're only going to give the, the women less money than the males here. That's not how it works. They're two separate organisations. And you can talk about equality and and that type of thing. And as I said last week, I think if ever they're the same tournament when it's Wimbledon, or any of the slams or US Open in a couple of weeks, then they should get paid the same amount of money. But you can't say well, it's not like in, for example, in other equality arguments that we've had, where say when we when we were talking about the BBC presenters and there was a huge discrepancy in how much the male male presenters were getting compared to the the female presenters. In the they're doing the same job, it's the exact same job that they're doing, and they're not getting paid as much, which is is not on at all in in this day and age or in any day and age to be honest the female the 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 atp or the male players would argue that the females are not doing the same job because they're playing against different competition 
and they may say that the competition in the women's game isn't good enough at the minute it's not it's not comparative to the men's tournament it doesn't pull in this is why they want if if you if the if if we had a joint governing body and and it would never happen as i said last week because the male players the atp won't agree to it because they're taking money they will be taking money out their own pocket and the argument they would give is that well they don't pull in the amount of money that we do that that's why they're not getting as much money they don't pull in the marketing and that's why the wta won't be able to pay as much this week because the marketing the sponsorship deals the tv deals that they've they've made aren't aren't up to the standard that the men's are so they don't have the money to offer and you can't just where where is this extra money coming from that's what that's what i don't i'd like to ask miles if i spoke to him i'd ask him where is this extra money coming from i think there's a there's probably a broader point lodged up in here and I, I, th- I think we covered a lot of the ground of the kind of the men versus women thing last week but actually on tennis's popularity I was quite struck by a tweet from Juan Ignacio this week on Twitter at Juan Ignacio underscore AC who kind of detailed the number of followers on Instagram of all the big tennis tournament accounts which I know is no perfect <laughs> measure for anything but I did think it was quite interesting that so you've got Wimbledon at 4.7 million the rest of the slams are kicking around 2.5 million with the French Open slightly ahead on 2.8 so there's a, you know we've spoken out kind of brand Wimbledon and how big that is as a selling point that seems to kind of certainly on social media be outstripping other slams the next highest tournament is 220,000 followers in Miami I mean that's quite a quite a substantial <laughs> kind of drop off and then you know, big events like Paris, ninety nine thousand. You know, tennis really is quite niche, isn't it? In terms of those numbers, I mean, hundred oh, percent, yeah. And I think a lot of people involved in tennis don't don't really um, understand that because they get quite uh, fanatical about it and quite defensive about it. But it's not a big sport most of the time. It's the Wim- Wimbledon. It's always big because it's on terrestrial television in Britain. And terrestrial television, although the world's moved on to streaming and that kind of thing, terrestrial television in Britain still holds quite a bit of sway. Hmm. I don't know how big the other slams are in their own countries, whether they're still on terrestrial television or anything. I'm not sure the US Open is. I think it's on ESPN. Um, France has got a little bit of Amazon, I think. But, yeah, it's not huge. But, again... George, what what I'd ask about that? I'm trying to look for the for that list that you sent, but I can't find it at the minute. But well, if you name a tournament, I can I can give you the numbers. I've got it in front of me. So well, you're going to ask me WCA versus the... ATP finals. That that's on there. Well, yeah. How like what's the highest ranking WTA final that that wasn't at a tournament where they had male players as well? So WTA finals is thirty five thousand, which is quite low. The ATP finals is 125,000. Now, you might say that's probably a longer, more established tournament. Um, there's not really broken down by women only, but but Monte Carlo, which is male only, that's 133,000. That's yeah, bigger than the ATP finals. You can say, you can say and, and it's legitimate to say it's a longer established tournament, etc., etc., but that's... I'm not trying to argue for ATP or WTA. I'm trying to explain why those things happen. And whatever the reason is, there is more 
there is more coverage or more people watching or more people following ATP than there is WTA. And that and if you if we go by the basis of like followers equals money, that explains why the ATP pay more. I think the other thing that really stood out to me about this list is I know these aren't just kind of women's tournaments, but actually the Chinese tournaments are really quite low down. So you've got Shanghai, 19,000, Beijing, 18,000, and Wuhan, which is WTO, no, we're talking kind of 2,865. And I think this probably points to a, a broader economic challenge that the WTA has had. They've gone and chased big money contracts in places where globally outside you know obviously china's a massive market but globally these aren't necessarily the most kind of attractive tournaments to kind of a wider audience i suppose and you know they've kind of put a lot They're of eggs in those I baskets in, in terms of you know tennis is a huge sport in europe when you take it to china and that kind of thing it's not great in terms of viewing times when you can watch it and that kind of thing if you want to watch it live tends to be late in the in the middle of the night and that kind of thing so that's another problem it's the same as when you have tournaments out in i mean my two of the lads who i coach are playing in stanford next week which is california and that'll mean that will mean that i'll be up watching tennis matches at 4 4 a.m in the morning and it, it's not ideal when you get those those time frames new york's not so bad new york's actually ideal like the u.s opens an ideal time it comes on at four o'clock and it runs for the rest of the night, so people can just watch it when they get in from work, that kind of thing. Um, but I, I'll come back to it though, George. That again, just because we don't want to, we kind of discussed this last week and got panned for it in a couple of reviews. <laughs> that, um, or that I think somebody called me a chauvinist or something, which is not the case. I, I would love the women, the female players, to get the same as the men, but I, you can't make the maths work. You can't square that circle of right. There's two tournaments. They're at the same venue. There's two different tournaments. The WTA has this amount of money to give. The ATP has twice as much money to give. They're not connected at all, these two organisations. If you think that the, the, the female players should be paid the same as the men's, you, you've got two options. You've got to find the WTA has to find some more money from somewhere, otherwise there is none. Or you join the two organisations and the men give some of their money to the women, which no one's ever going to agree to on that they, they will never agree to it or the third option is like what what, what do we want what about if what would it would it be fine if dan evans only won one hundred and fifty thousand pound yesterday like is it like because because that's that's another thing i wanted to raise right hundred and fifty thousand pounds for a week's work in a tournament that's a th third tier tournament is not bad is it mm. you know so it's like you could even argue that like you know, Coco Goff had a decent week yesterday. You know, we're saying, gee, she made 150 grand yesterday. We're going, oh, but she didn't get as much as Dan Evans did, who won a completely <laughs> different tournament. Like, it's, you know, it's the same as when, Joe, this is the thing what annoys me when Djokovic starts arguing about how he should be getting more money and winning the slap the last stages of the tournaments. What, you, you don't think, you don't think three million quid's enough <laughs> for two weeks' work? I, I think you're touching on my kind of position on it, really, is that, you could do a big kind of economic shift in tennis where the top of the game is still paid very handsomely as you're kind of alluding to there and you could support a lower network and you could equalise it across quite easily 
by going down to that sort of thing. But you need kind of strong, <laughs> strong leadership, and probably really, as you say, the players are never going to accept it, um, which makes it a bit you, awkward. You can't, and as well, George, you can't force people to enjoy women's tennis. That's another thing. Some people do. I enjoy watching some women's tennis, but you can't force people. I can't. I know a couple like again. I'll I use a couple a couple of my mates, right? They were texting me because they watched Evans play Dimitrov and TFO, and then they were texting me last night about it. I can't tell them. No, no, no. You've got to watch one about Coco Goff. You didn't. You haven't got anything to say about Coco Goff against Belinda Bencic, or Coco Goff against Maria Sakari. You can't make people interested in it if they're not. And that's something the WTA has to take care of. Because mm. there was a time when people were interested. There was a t- Absolutely there was a time around about the early 2000s, pre-Federer, pre-Nadal, where women's tennis was definitely more interesting than men's. And I think they made a lot of money in that period. I, I, I think as well, you know, not to overly defend the women's game, but it's lost a couple of well, three massive stars yeah. who were also yes. top players. You know, you lost oh. Serena, but then you've lost Barty, who was world number one and a you know a big name who people were starting to get used to, and she's just quit. Naomi Osaka was a massive name; she's yeah. just gone out of it. You know, that's hard for any sport to lose players of that kind of significance. Hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent, and and you know, like you say, Serena there, and you know, so Serena's a megastar, and. Naomi Osaka's a superstar, you know. They're, they're two big, huge losses. I and mean, you know, when they t- when they played in the U.S. Open and the, there's the drama that followed from it since, everyone was watching that. Yeah, people wanted to watch when Osaka first came through. That people wanted to watch that match, and that's because you had superstars. But the problem again is the organization. It's not being run great. The WTA, and also I don't think the players have helped themselves either because no one really has any form of elite level consistency yeah uh, Fontek's getting there but even she doesn't still quite have it and not to labour the point but the last men's generation of tennis wouldn't have been so good if Federer had quit at 24 and Nadal had quit at 23 (laughs) and you know you've had Dimitrov and team and whatever sharing Grand Slam finals for 10 years that that wouldn't necessarily (laughs) I I, I do think I do think if what, what if the people who are arguing about equality at equal play in tournaments, there is equal play in tournaments where the tournaments that are the same tournament. There's none that don't anymore. But if you, that's not the argument to have. The argument you've got to have is: are, is the WTA, are WTA players paying, are WTA players getting paid enough for winning tournaments? And you don't compare it with the men's. There's no point in that. It's like comparing. Tell me one sport where they do get paid the same as the men's. Mm. Well, there's not, are there? I mean, and this is again, you no. know, tennis is miles ahead, you know, to give credit. Miles ahead of anything else. I think is golf catching up to it, or is women's golf's quite popular, isn't it? Or no? Probably not. I wouldn't have thought it's. I wouldn't have thought it's exactly the same as kind of how Wimbledon pays. That's. I might be wrong. But I, I, I don't think it's the right. I think it's a really the wrong direction to go in because it's not equality. Then, if you're just going, oh well, the men's tour should give us some money. That's not equality, is it, really? What they should be doing is making their product better. Mm. And it can get better. can get a lot better. But just say, you know, just saying we should get paid as much as the men. I'm sorry, I'm, it's just not... It doesn't carry any logic, that, for me. Mm. On on more light-hearted 
and positive feedback you've had this week, Calvin. Um, some of our listeners have assigned Pokemon to you, which I know you were were very pleased with. I'll um, I'll read a couple <laughs> couple because <laughs> they did give us a good laugh this week. So we had. So if you don't remember last week, um, Nick Kyrgios had a Pokemon tattoo, load of Pokemon over his back, and we were talking about which Pokemon we would be. We were struggling a bit due to our fairly poor Pokemon knowledge. James got named by at tennis ranter as Blastoise, who's a giant kind of turtle. With and there were descriptions of why we've got all these uh, names. Absolute tank that blasts dangerous options at ease. I like that. Calvin was something called Mega Gross, who you know some of the listeners have been calling him this week for different reasons. <laughs> uh, very knowledgeable and hard-hitting with his opinions. And I'm apparently Meowth, which is a cat. And I'm apparently a bit goofy. News to me. There is me thinking I'm like James Bond. No, nope. I'm a goofy cat. But can have some razor-sharp views. Well, that's slightly better. And then we had another one who uh, who called you... Oh, James got downgraded from Blastoise to a Squirtle, which is a tiny tortoise. James clearly giving off tortoise or turtle energy for some reason, which I'm sure he's delighted with. You got Lugia, who looks like quite a cool flying Pokemon card. And I think you've definitely uh, got the highest kind of average ranking of Pokemon here. Um, and then I've I've become Lapras, which is quite a cool water mythical creature. So. Thanks for those. That was uh, Hanya on Twitter who gave us those ones. So, you ha- happy with your Pokemon, Calvin? Are you going to get a Pokemon tattoo on your back? Uh, no, I won't be getting a tattoo, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, happy with my outcome there. Seems positive, I suppose. It's positive. You know. don't really know what Pokemon is. Is it a game or a cartoon or what? So I think it started off as a card game, I think, and then it became a cartoon. Right. And there was a, there was a f- quite big feature film a while ago where they uh, okay. chase a Pokemon called Mew who was a little cat right. fascinating there you go <laughs> anyway we are not the uh, we are not Pokemon unfilters we are tennis unfilters so I will pull us back towards that and, and let's go for a bit more kind of positive news we were talking about stars in the women's game one player who does have a big social media following and was a big star who retired relatively early in the grand scheme of things Caroline Wozniacki is back this week Calvin she's going to be starting off against a qualifier um, in Montreal what are your thoughts on her coming back is that good news for the women's game is she a big recognisable name that will potentially quell some of those complaints you've just had and how easy is it going to be for her to kind of step back in and challenge at the top of the game now um i've got to be honest i'm i'm a bit underwhelmed by it i never thought i was never a massive wasn't fan i never thought she was all that great to be honest she was you know she's a good player don't get me wrong but when she was at the top of the women's game i always found that a bit strange because i just never really rated her um she makes a lot of balls competes well but I just don't think she was ever as good as like she was never anywhere near as good as Schwantek is now, mm. like and th- those type of girls. I don't think she's anywhere near as good as um, go on 
Sabalenka, Rybakina. Sabalenka, yeah. So, and the way that she played, she was always a bit of a battler who made a lot of balls. I'd, I'd be surprised if she gets anywhere near the top of the game again, she, to be honest. She's she's claiming she's coming in to win the US Open. I believe she can do it. Do you think she, she will not win the US Open? <laughs> it's going to be a Wozniacki Goff final based on your prediction output from well, last week. That'd be quite something, wouldn't it? But she, she will not be winning the US Open. Um, if she's around in the second week of the US Open, I would be gobsmacked. <laughs> and I'll tell you something. No, something else. Right, that if she does come back and, and gets to the last stage of the US Open, then. That kind of proves the point of what we're just talking about. How can you be taking three years? How long has she been out? Two or three years out of the game? Maybe even slightly longer. I mean, what was her Australian Open final win? That was like 2018, right? 2019. Yeah, but out of the game, as somebody who was nowhere near one. It's a bit different when Kim Clijsters was... When Kim Clijsters came back and did it, because she was the very best in the game when she retired. Mm. Wasn't the Aki wasn't when she... You know, she, she won one slam. Um, and she wasn't like I say. I never really rated so. Somebody who was like, okay, quite good a few years back, comes back and does better than she really ever did, apart from on one occasion before. You think, well, not great for the women's game, is it? Mm. It'll bring a lot of attention. She's a she's a big name. Bring a lot of, you know, they bring a lot of coverage, and that's one of the things that. Um, I'm supposed to be saying James has messaged in there saying Nadal and Federer both spent nine months out. They were both out injured though. <laughs> that that's different. That's different from just deciding they're not playing anymore. Like and that's and also as I've just raised there, they're the, they're two. You could argue they're the two best players of all time. They're certainly two of the best three or four players of all time. They were coming back and doing it. They're they're, they're injured. You don't. It's it's. You, they've never switched off from the game mentally. And, and coming back to do that, I mean, and also like I'd be ber- berating James if he was actually on the screen here <laughs> comparing Nadal and Federer with Caroline Wozniacki. I mean, please. Speaking of someone, ma- ma- yes. he, he's yeah. come on the screen to be berated. Well, one player who you might say is more comparable, although I think you might tell me I'm being a bit harsh here, and you know how much I, I do love this guy, uh, Dominic Team, in terms of slam wins. He's won, He's reached a final this week uh, in Kitzbühel, um, but lost to Sebastian Byers. Um, we also had Stefanos Sissipas beating Alex Dimonor in Los Cabos. But I wanted to throw some listener questions at you. Calvin, because I think we've got some pretty good ones this week. Here's one from Matt on email. These are what James sifts through every week. He loves reading them and sends them to us, and we all get our thinking caps on. But Calvin has not been cited on this yet, so you're getting a raw reply from him. If Calvin could put himself in the shoes of Gilles Savara post Wimbledon, what would he be working with? to help Daniel Medvedev overcome the major problems he has facing the world number one, of course, meaning Carlos Alcaraz. The gap between the two this year looks huge, and it's not just the return position Medvedev has issues with. His surf is getting worked over as well. Um, yeah, it's it's a good question, and I, I've got to admit, you know, 
if, if you're getting paid by Daniel Medvedev, you'd probably you'd want to convince him to have some belief and try and do something. But outside looking in, you're thinking, I don't really see what you can do there. Um, he's he's got to have he's got. I mean, the, the obvious answer is he's got to be playing more aggressive. He's got to have a bit more. He's got to be better at finishing mid-court balls. That's one of the things that Medvedev isn't great at. He's not accurate. He doesn't have enough racket head speed on mid-court balls. It, it, apart from is that a, a confidence thing? As in, does he have the ability to go for no, it more? No, I think it's a technical thing. No, I think it's a technical thing as well. A technical and a physical thing. I don't think he's not the greatest ball striker in the world. He's not. Um, he's not the greatest ball striker. He's not. He's not got the fastest racket head when he's finishing balls. Um, so that that's a problem and and like um i forget the guy's name who asked the question uh matt called? matt and like matt says his serve is getting worked over a bit because it's just not very accurate he throws the ball up and he's got a big serve it's a hard serve but it's just like he does he's not great at hitting spots is he he's, he's just like he just you know he goes somewhere near where he's aiming at and it just doesn't yeah, it's just not accurate enough, and the pace that he, he's got an okay, he's got quite a big serve, but quite a big serve that isn't accurate. It's not really what you want. I think he's gonna. I'd, I'd be honest. I think if he's gonna win more slams, somebody else is gonna have to take care of Carlos Alcaraz. I don't think Medvedev will ever beat him in a slam. And, I mean, we don't want to be too much of a pile on Medvedev here. I mean, Alcaraz as a whole, it is quite hard to look at him and think. God, that's a serious weakness. We can really get him behind. I mean, he's so bloody quick. He hits well off both wings. He's got a great drop shot. He's moving well. If you're trying to find something, one glimmer of hope, What what is it? What What's the thing you say when you're playing him? Is it not giving him angles, trying to kind of bore him down the middle? Is it? What, what can you do against this guy? I think you've got to take the game to him. I think that's that you've got to you can't start letting him set. Once he starts teeing off and standing there and teeing off, he's got you in a whole world of trouble. But you've got to he's a great defender as well, but it's the only way that you're going to beat him is by doing that. And you look at the guys who do give him trouble, it's guys like um Holger Rune. I know he hasn't beaten it. Oh, he has beaten him, hasn't he? Um but you know, for a couple of sets at Wimbledon, that was tight, and that's because he can hit through him. Mm. Sinner, but Sinner, yeah, absolutely, Sinner. That's that's the the most obvious example. Those guys are not standing there and going, right, I'm going to trade with you from the back of the court, because when you do that, then Alcaraz will start slowly taking over the rally. He'll start getting you on the run, and then he can he can finish mid court balls. Look at the diff. If you were to list right. When I say a mid-court ball, I'm not talking a short one. So say a ball lands without much pace somewhere between the baseline and the service line. Um, central, with your opponent slightly off-center. Um, you're in attacking position. If you were to list, who would you think, who's the best in the world at finishing that ball? Who would you say, George? At finishing a, a mid-court... Mid-court ball. Best in the world. Uh... <laughs> Well, let's say probably. I'd say probably I'd say Sinner's up Sinner. there. Alcaraz is up Sitsipas there. Sitsipas isn't actually that bad at teeing off. Sitsipas pretty good at it. Forehand's good. Yeah. Um, Runa's very good at it. How many players do you think you'd get? You'd list before you listed Daniel Medvedev. Probably a lot. 
Yeah, I think you'd probably get. I'd even reckon you might you might get fifty before you get that. Yeah, because there's guys outside. You know, there's some guys who I see like Quinton Halise is yeah. brilliant at that. Like you look at like he, he cleans up anything when he gets inside the court, and Medvedev's just he's just not, and that amazes me. He's very he's just one dimensional like that. You got to hit if you can hit through Medvedev, you've got him in a world of trouble. Would you? I'm trying to find any positives for for Medvedev here. Would you say Murray was that good at finishing off kind of short balls? No, I mean, the, no, would Murray struggle been, been... against Alcaraz if they were playing now at their pomps and the peaks? Would Would Murray struggle to beat someone as good as Alcaraz from that? The only difference between Murray and Medvedev is Murray can do it a little bit better on his backhand. He's still got a great backhand from there. So if he actually get, he's actually better on midcourt backhands than he is forehands, mm. is Murray. Murray's, but then again, I, I've always thought with Murray though that it is a, it's it's a, it's an issue of him being overly safe and just not letting the racket go. I mean, you can't. When I say Medvedev, Medvedev's not a great ball striker. Mm. If we're honest, Murray is a great ball striker. Yeah. I've been on court and seen Murray strike the ball, and he's a beautiful ball striker. If if you always get the feeling with Murray, it's still that he's still he's always had that little bit of safety in everything he does. Um. And I, I'm actually I'm a bit gutted. I was gutted the other day that he didn't beat Fritz, because that was one match where I thought he really he really went for it. Not wasn't a hundred percent. It's not like he threw caution to the wind like I'd like to see him do sometimes, but he went after the ball, and I think it was just a little bit of luck that held him back. And and one of those games which I'm sure it infuriates him, but I'm sure it infuriates his team and it infuriates me where he played great the whole match. And just he started with an absolute dog shit game in the first game of the match and then couldn't break back. And then Oh did he break back? Yeah, yeah, sorry, he did break back, didn't he? He got he got that set. But then he did it again at the start of the second. He gave a game away. And he gave a game away in the third that wasn't through Fritz playing brilliant at all. Mm. Just gave a game away. And he played he played three games. One of them didn't matter because he won the first set. But he played this great brand of tennis that I think, you know, when I watched him play that, I thought, right, he could compete at the back. He could be in the second week of a slam here and giving somebody trouble because he's now hitting the ball a bit more. He's trying to do a bit more. He's focused. He's zoned in. But he's got to not stop throwing in those service games where he just does, like, backhand error, drop shot in the net, double fault. You know, that that's basically what there was too much of. I mean, if he if he was to play Taylor Fritz at the Slam rather than on the rest of the tour at the minute, you'd probably back Murray because Fritz's form outside the Slams is infinitely better than in them. Well, yeah, true, yeah, true. Speaking of Murray, I actually wanted to move to talk to him about doubles, which he was signed up with Dan Evans this week in the City Open. They lost to Argentine pair Maltini and Gonzalez after beating Pavic and Krajcik, which was not a bad win at all. Um, in the first round we've had a good question this week as well from Laurie over email um, so I think you'll be pretty well placed to answer again Calvin so this is Laurie I noticed Dan Evans and Andy Murray are playing doubles together this week in Washington a while back you spoke about Dan Evans's and Andy Murray's volleying in respect to how it fits into their respective doubles games could you perhaps expand on how exactly Murray is a more technical volleyer compared to Evans and how this would help slash hurt him when playing doubles? 
Um, I might have worded that wrong. I wouldn't say he's a more technical volleyer than than Evans. Evans has got a lovely technical volley, but also has a bit of more um, dexterity in his hands. I think I would say, which is what you need in doubles. And there was, a, I watched that doubles match actually. I watched them; they had a good win, and then they lost in the next round. But and and there was a couple of instances specifically about what I'm talking about there that you've just got to have because Murray's. I guess he's more of a singles volleyer where he comes in and he gets that you're just going to go into the open court and that's that's what happens because you know where your opponent is whereas in doubles the angles change and that kind of thing so you need to be able to hold your choice and hold your racket hold the ball on the racket to the very last minute and then change your wrist and that kind of thing and play some play some shots with your wrist that you wouldn't ever play in singles i'll try and explain one that i'm talking about that I don't know if I can do it without any sort of visuals. Well, the, our YouTube you have, watchers can see it, Calvin. If you want to start, yeah, but doing I don't some... have a I don't have a diagram prepared. <laughs> do I? Um, if you're standing, if you're if you're if your partner if your service partner and your partner's serving uh, from the juice side, and the ball comes to your backhand volley, okay. So, and you want to go inside out, so you want to go back down the other side you, you want to go out wide of the tram lines that's a volley that technically you would never ever play in singles because mm. you'd never be in that position to play that there you'd never have to play that there so and similarly if you got a backhand volley from the juice side if you're the server and the ball comes into you you'd never play a backhand volley from the kind of the juice service box so it's just a case of having the thing what Evo has is he just has more dexterity in his hands than Murray does on a doubles court with his volleys. Murray's a technically a very, very sound volleyer. You wouldn't pick up it. And, it. and it's something that I think it's mainly come just through Evo's played a lot more doubles. You just end up playing, you just end up doing a lot more of that. And also, in practice, Evo tends to, there's a lot more games and that kind of thing where you start it Murray in practice is very he's very drill orientated hmm. which 100% would lead to that kind of situation where I'm talking about his volleys he's technically very sound he doesn't have great dexterity he does have great feel he doesn't have great dexterity if he chose to play I think you'd find if Murray chose to play doubles most weeks in the season so far that would you'd notice a, an improvement in that in his game by about 60-70% by the end of the year You've, you've sort of stumbled into a question that I was actually going to ask you there, Calvin, in a way. I was going to say, if, if you were playing a doubles match next week and you could pick one of Dan Evans or Andy Murray to play with you, which one would you take right now? I mean, you, you wouldn't be in a bad position <laughs> if, if I could choose one of them. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'd be quite happy with that position. That's tough to say, I think. I think it would depend on who, what kind of player you wanted them to play with as well. Well, with you. Because, well, you. Well, no, because I'm shit. So, <laughs> what it if it makes you feel better, the other one gets to play with me at the other end. Now, I mean, look, it, it comes in terms of like actually meshing as as players. Because if if say, I mean, without a doubt, Murray's the better returner. There's no question. I mean, Murray's one of the best returners of all time. So that's no slight on Evo. Murray's. So if if you were a player whose return wasn't great. You need somebody to to win a lot of points on return. Hmm. So, 
you know, you'd, you'd, you'd go for, for Murray in that respect. If you had a server, if you were a server who, who was an okay server, but isn't great, there's two ways of looking at that. Because what if, if, I'm a serve, if I'm a player who's got a decent serve, but not a great serve, then I want two things. I want a really good service partner who's going to cover the court and take care of anything that's, you know, borderline grey area. And I want somebody who's going to hold serve themselves. In that respect, I'd probably take Evo. Because he's he's a better service partner for the reason that I've just I've just expressed that you know you're gonna you're gonna have to play some tricky some strange shaped volleys and that kind of thing, but I'd it's tough to say it, it depends what like I say it depends what kind of player what kind of player you are. If you if you're asking me the same question, I, I would say Andy Murray because then I could say I've played doubles with Andy Murray. That, that would be pretty cool. Well, you're a <laughs> celebrity chaser so <laughs> that is what they famously uh, call me yeah 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 um <laughs> but i don't know i i mean if i guess it's like this if i was going to play like to, if, if if the two players who i catch if you go right henry needs a partner one week julian's out injured or whatever henry needs a partner who are you choosing i'd probably choose murray because he's always wanted to play with I andy think... murray <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily no but I think it's it's probably one of those where you'd think he, he can just like Henry's got, Henry's got a huge serve he's going to hold serve most of the time anyway um, he's got good hands in himself in that regard so he can I think that would be a good match but if you're saying to you know like, like Luke who's a great returner already himself and you know he, sometimes he's, he's served it's, he's got a good serve. It's, it's it's not as good as Henry's serve because Henry's got a great serve. But in that circumstance, I think you know maybe Evo's a better bet here because Evo's got a good serve himself and he's a good service partner. Seems fair enough to me. Fair enough. I tell you one other thing as well on that. Evo's got a better second serve than Murray as well. Oh yeah. And he'll hit spots on his second serve more, whereas Murray's second serve he's going to kick it into the body a lot. I'd be worried about that if I was. But that's the, my only concern. If you, if you, if you needed Murray to win match, if you're playing doubles with Murray, because doubles players, you've got to hit spots on second serves. Because the doubles players, the actual doubles specialists, will take care of body serves a lot better than singles players do. Why do you think that is? Um, there's an argument that look, singles players, they don't, they don't get to experience so many body serves second serves because to win points at singles you've, you've got to go you've got to go spots on serves so they're just more pre- they practice returning spots better Murray as we know Murray's second serve has never been a great second serve mm. and he'd probably have won a lot more slams if he'd have if he he did have a better second serve indeed it's kind of quite slow and it it goes into the body yeah I, I'd, I'd eat it alive if I was at the other end of the court obviously I'm sure you would yeah <laughs> Um, I've got one kind of final topic on my my set list this week, Calvin, which I'm kind of reluctant to end on because I don't really want to talk about this. Um, we have covered this conversation before, but it has made some headlines this week. Um, Martina Navratilova is back in the news, um, criticising the US Tennis Association uh, for their kind of policy towards transgender athletes. Now, What's basically sparked this off as a 55-year-old, or playing in the plus 55-year-old um, 
women's tournaments in the US, national championships. Um, Alicia Rowley, who's a trans athlete, um, has reportedly won the women's national championships. And that has upset uh, Navratilova, who said it's not right and it's not fair and that the sport is not for failed male athletes. Um, I mean, as I say, I don't really want to go through this again, but I suppose there's quite an interesting difference in policy here that Navratilova has brought up compared to the kind of professional and the the amateur game. So just to quickly read this to you, the USDA states there's transgender inclusion policy that trans athletes should be included and not blocked from playing sport. The document states it is necessary to ensure, insofar as possible, that transgender athletes are not excluded from the opportunity to participate in sporting competitions. Uh, the overriding sporting objective is and remains the guarantee of fair competition. Restrictions on participation are appropriate to the extent that they are necessary and proportionate to the achievement of this objective. Now, <laughs> I, I guess there's probably a bit of a practical point to this, isn't it? That actually insisting people are kind of proving their uh, a certain gender at kind of tournaments that aren't professional, etc., feels like quite a long thing to do um and quite difficult but it's just it's just very depressing that martina navarro is so fixated on this issue isn't it um yeah and i think it, yeah as we've said before on the pod it's it's such a difficult topic because you've just got to have such nuance on it and i can i can strongly see both sides of the discussion on it um and i, I feel for trans athletes and trans people who are in that situation um i also feel for women athletes who feel that they're getting the rough end of the stick on here um i'm surprised that navratilova is so vocal about it because this is somebody who has experienced a whole lot of discrimination in her career in her life and i think that she could do well to remember what what her life was like around the late 70s in towards all of the 1980s and and the kind of situation that she faced in that time um, for her physique and also about her sexuality and like I say she would do well to to just have a bit of a bit more memory on that I think uh, beyond that I don't have an answer for it I don't think there is any answer it's it's just a real it's a real tricky one um, I, I, I think that as far as I'm told, with the with the American policy, it's, it's not great, and there is a feeling that that some males are trying to take advantage of it. But how how would we ever find that out? Mm. How can you ever? Where do you go for that? How how are we ever going to know if that's what people are doing? But I think the thing is, though, that outside of America, for all the talk of it, I, I think every the other countries do have a, a basically a a better system in place like the idea that you know it was bounced around here whenever whenever the Tories need some sort of distraction from the mess that they're creating in the country they tend to ramp up the um, the trans debate again and we get to hear well you know you could just have a female player going a, ma- a male player going and playing women's golf or something like that and it's like no no you couldn't that's that's absolutely not what could happen in Britain like there are rules in place that could that stop that kind of thing but yeah uh, it's it's such a difficult one. I, I don't want to. I, I don't think I really have um, 
I don't know enough about it and I don't I really have the intellect to be able to argue that one as as well as it should be covered for everyone concerned I don't think I, I must say I've not seen many uh, 55 uh, plus tennis tournaments covered <laughs> on this podcast or in, uh, in the more uh, mainstream media before which I think probably goes a little bit to the point of there are certain things that are just being thrashed around in the national media for for different kind of games, shall we say. Um, James has helpfully just sent me a useful text of some context because normally he would be much more, much better at handling these kind of uh, hosting of subjects. So he said, for reference, in the UK, players can attend sessions in the gender as they present, but once you hit competitive ITF level then there is a maximum testosterone levels. But that, that's that's a difficult one to go with as well, isn't it? Because you then get into this, the situation with Casta Semenya, who basically had her career robbed off her because someone deemed that her testosterone levels were too high. And that I always found that absolutely bizarre, being that it's athletics, which is basically a test of genetic athleticism, really. And because she was a... She was a freak athlete in what she, in in her bo- her body was a f- was a freak in what she could do. Mm. But was it any more of a freak than Usain Bolt? No. Usain Bolt had this situation where he's he bizarrely has long limbs, long levers, and fast twitch muscles, which almost never happens. So, and, and that's why he turned out to be the the best sprinter of all time. Because this this strange combination of long levers and fast twitch muscles. So are we going to go to Usain Bolt now and go? No, no, your your body's not. Uh, your body's just too freakish. Like you're you're too good. Your body's too good for this race. So you can't do it. And Cassis Semenya was robbed of that because somebody decided that for no other reason than her body was was too good for the sport that she was competing in. I, th- I think the point I, I'm always kind of at pains to make in all these discussions is that. Yeah, well, I accept it. It is not a straightforward debate, and you know, whatever. It, it's just the amount of airtime that gets, and how kind of small oh, an phenom- issue it is fun- in terms it's of the phenomenal. Sport. It's, and that's not even just sport. That's like, you know, that's in general in life with this th- this thing. How how something that affects not point zero one percent of the population commands such. I mean, you get in. Whenever the leader of the opposition is on a political program, he gets asked about this. You think you look at look at this, the the things that we have to discuss in this country, the, the state that this country is in, and whenever the leader of the opposition is on any political program, within the first three questions he gets asked about this, and you think it affect, it's something that affects zero point zero one percent of society, and it's zero point zero one percent of society that I have a lot of. I have a lot of sympathy for her. I, I genuinely do. It must be a terrible position to be in. But And also, when they're asking those questions, they're not looking after those people, by the way. Yeah. There's a reason those questions are being asked. Yeah, that, that, that's just the broader point, isn't it? I mean, th- this is such a, a small issue in terms of scale, and it's being brought up by people who want to... Well, at the end of the day, whether they're intending to or not, I'm not sure. I don't think Navratilova is actually thinking, I want to demonise trans people she probably is coming from a place of I want to protect women's sport and it's gone kind of miles down the wrong kind of path it would potentially be a generous defence of her I'm sure other people online would disagree with that but it has just become so it's weird and obsessive the, it's, it's the wording again though George isn't it I think that's what it comes from that Navratilova's 
wording of it and not this this time and the last time and i know there are other people and listen i I know there are other people from the lgbt community who've also been the same as now rattle over and they've they've you know you think i can't believe you can't believe you guys are coming out like this Mm. and speaking like this if there's anybody you'd think should have more empathy for the situation it's people who've been through those situations themselves well, just a depressing note to end on a, a depressing podcast, really. Losing James always knocks me out of joint. I just feel so uh, disappointed. So I've got some excellent news to end with, Calvin, um, that I'm going to throw into any other business. And we didn't write this on the schedule, um, but I thought everyone on the podcast had know, and I'm, I'm sure James would really be very embarrassed to give this long monologue. But James always talks about friends of the pod, James is is the pod. He's a core founder. He's a heartfelt host. We really bloody miss him when he's not here. And he's had the most wonderful news of his life for us. You'll remember he teased it at the end of last episode. He said, oh, my family don't even know yet. We caught up with him afterwards. Mr. James Gray is engaged. Someone has finally agreed to take him on beyond us, which is absolutely astounding news. Um, and an even smaller section of the population than trans athletes have to deal with James Gray now, hopefully. Just one. Um, so congratulations to James, who is sat here listening. Um, and I'm sure everyone who listens to the pod will join me in a wishing you all the best in your married life assuming you get to the line and aren't jilted or anything um and if you want to leave james a five-star review to say congratulations um we would very much appreciate that so calvin do you want to say congratulations and then we can wrap this thing up yeah but many congratulations yeah i just i know that james when he when he proposed it i think it was on his walk around or down adrian's wall and i just wondered whether his his other half had basically set him a challenge that if he could do that, then, <laughs> then uh, she would agree to marry him. It felt like a bit of a, um, but yeah, a bit of a challenge for him that. But fair play, fair play. No, come many congrats, congrats. Yes, we found some happy news to finish on, and there's going to be plenty more happy news. We'll be back next week. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.